Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram, and now also Twitter at No Huddle NFL underscore. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. I highly recommend that you check out, especially my Twitter, because I've recently started posting there, and it's very small right now. I'm expecting it to grow eventually, and anyone dropping a follow right now would be really helpful, and it would be really appreciated if you do that for my Twitter. And then on the TikTok and Instagram, it is just no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces. The Twitter is the only one where you have to put the underscore after. In case you haven't noticed the somewhat decent drop in quality of the microphone between this episode and the last one, I'm currently recording this using a pair of wired earbuds and my iPhone because my computer decided to randomly start updating right when I was about to start recording. So, you know, that's great because, of of course, inconveniences like that have to happen in my life. And normally I would just wait for it to update, but I make the idiotic decision every Wednesday to record this at, like, 10 p.m. sometimes later on school nights, so I don't really have the time to wait for it to update. Anyway, this week of the NFL offseason has been very interesting. A lot of big moves have happened. Four in particular I want to go very in-depth in. So this episode is going to be very different from last week's episode. Because last week's episode, for those of you that listened to it, you would know, I tried to talk about like nearly every little signing. Right? And then towards the end, I went more into like the big storylines of the week. But this week, I, I just want to talk about four in particular moves and go really in depth in them instead of just talking about all these different signings and trades and stuff like that. Instead, I'd rather just take it slow and go really in depth in just four different situations or four different big moves of this offseason. The first one I want to talk about is one that I talked about a little bit in last week's episode, but it didn't happen yet. It was my prediction, and it was my ranking of the landing spots for Deshaun Watson, who got traded to the Browns. Last week, I said that the Browns would be the best landing spot for him, and I do not take that back. I still think that it was the best landing spot. Out of the four that he named, which was the Saints, Panthers, Falcons, and Browns, I think the Browns were... Definitely the best out of those four. And he made the right choice, lifting his no-trade clause only for the Browns, and he got traded there. And, I mean, there's two different different ways to look at this trade, right? And there's two different ways to look at every trade. Either the Texan side or the Brown side. I'm going to talk about both perspectives, right? So, the Texans received a... 2022 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, a 2023 first round pick, a 2023 third round pick, a 2024 fourth round pick, and a 2024 first round pick. That is a lot. All right, you have to keep in mind, GMC see these draft picks as lottery tickets, right? Especially especially the first-round picks. The first-round picks, 
you you'd be surprised by just how much GMs cherish these picks. They love them. There's a reason you see Amari Cooper getting traded for a fifth round pick. Stuff like that. Matt Ryan getting traded for a third round pick. Something I'll talk about later. There's a reason you see stuff like that. And that's because GMs way more than the fans think they do. Because from a fan's perspective, you look at it and you're like, oh, think about how high the chances of are of the player being a bust that they end up drafting. But GMs don't see it like that because they, they're willing to bet on themselves. So they are willing to bring in these draft picks because they have enough confidence that they won't be a bust, that they won't draft someone who's a bust. Because, well, if they thought that they would draft someone that would be a bust, they wouldn't exactly have a GM job, would they? <laughs> right? So... Getting six picks, three of which being first-rounders, that's great from the Texans' perspective. That's great. Watson was gone no matter what, and he had a lot of leverage, and the Browns had a lot of leverage over the Texans. But the Texans still found a way to get a huge haul, despite a lack of leverage and at a deficit in terms of leverage. But let's talk about it from the more interesting perspective, or at least more interesting right now, more relevant right now perspective of the Browns. Deshaun Watson makes this team a legitimate Super Bowl contender, and I'm not saying that lightly. Right? Let's think about it. Cleveland has one of the best offensive lines in the league, if not the best. Nick Chubb's a stud. Kareem Hunt is a beast. Their receiver core isn't great. I'll, I'll admit, like, that's the major problem. The receiver core doesn't I don't love it. I don't love it. I think Amari Cooper, not very good anymore. He he looked, I don't want to say bad last year, but he, he was underwhelming last year. I, I don't think Amari Cooper's a one at this point in his career. I really don't. Last year, he didn't look like it. He didn't. In my opinion, I did not really like Amari Cooper last year. Again, that was one year. Maybe he could step it back up, but last year, he wasn't very impressive. And then... They have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I like. I think he's good. They're probably going to draft a receiver. Wouldn't surprise me if we see, like... I mean, then again, they lost all these draft picks, so it's going to be difficult. But this is a very deep draft class, so maybe they'll be able to get someone who falls very far, or maybe they just have a sleeper pick in mind. But I, I really think their first pick they're going to use on a on a wide receiver. Their first pick of the draft, I think, is going to be a wide receiver because that's the major weakness. But I still think, like, let's carry on, right? So you got a really good running game. Not a very good group of receivers. But now you bring in Deshaun Watson. That running game becomes even better because now you could incorporate the quarterback run, the zone read. You could incorporate that into this already dynamic offense or dynamic running game. And look at what Deshaun Watson does to the receivers around him, right? Think about the last time he was healthy, or the last time he played, started with the team. That receiver core was not very good, but he made Brandon Cooks legitimately look like one of the, be one of the best receivers in the league. At least statistically, he was one of the best. And that was all Deshaun Watson. All Deshaun Watson. There's a reason the second Will Fuller l left Deshaun Watson 
No one knows who Will Fuller is anymore. <laughs> There's a reason that the Dolphins feel a need to trade for Tyreek Hill now. Because Will Fuller isn't really getting the job done like they thought he would. It's almost like the only reason he was able to be all that productive was because of Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson makes the receivers around him so much better than they actually are. So much better. Like, it is not even reasonable. Like, it's unimaginable just how much adding Deshaun Watson changes that receiver room. Even if you don't have the most talented guys, the receiver room becomes a lot better because Deshaun Watson can place it in the perfect spot for his receiver to get it. I mean, he instantly elevates that offense in so many ways. Even though the wide receivers aren't overly talented, they become so much better because Deshaun Watson is just such a good quarterback. But that's just the offensive side of the ball. Along with Deshaun Watson severely elevating an already good offense, now there's also the defense, which has Miles Garrett, who is one of the best defensive players in the entire NFL. Then, let's not forget Denzel Ward. John Johnson, he's good. J.O.K., let's not forget how good of a rookie year he had, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Like, this is a very good defense. Now, is it, I don't, is it, like, elite? Is it, like, the Patriots defense two years ago? No. Is it some uh, 2018 with Vic Fangio Bears defense? No. But it, it's a good unit. Like, it, it can definitely get the job done, especially with an electric offense on the other side. It's definitely above average, I would say that. Maybe borderline top 10. Or not maybe, they definitely are at least borderline top 10. And... We'll see if they draft the right players that that can make a jump into the top five possibly, and then you really got a good team with Cleveland right here. I I think I really do think this Browns team is no joke. Now that that they brought in Deshaun Watson, and I feel like I got to talk about the contract he got. Some people have a problem with him being paid this much, and I don't at all really. Deshaun Watson, he's good. He's young. And I get it a little bit of uncertainty because he's coming back after a year of not playing, but I'm decently confident that he's going to be able to bounce back and still be really good. But I feel like I have to talk about it being all guaranteed money because that is going to revolutionize the way football players get paid. Completely. Completely revolutionize it. Because now that's what quarterbacks are going to look for. Kyler Murray, we heard him earlier in the offseason talk about how he wants an extension, right? After seeing the money Deshaun Watson's getting paid first off and how much of it is guaranteed, a.k.a. all of it, Kyler Murray's going to want the same thing. Every quarterback is going to want the same thing. Because there's one thing better than just getting paid, and it's being guaranteed to get paid. And we'll we'll see if teams are willing to do it, but players definitely want it. 
And if there's teams that aren't willing to give out guaranteed money, like the Browns just did, then those teams better say bye-bye to their star players. Because I'm telling you, just because the Bills don't want to pay Josh Allen in all guaranteed money, that doesn't mean a team like, I don't know, the Giants wouldn't. And I just use that team as, I just use both those teams as a random example, obviously. But it's really interesting. I'm excited to see if other teams follow suit in the potential movement of, okay, let's pay everyone guaranteed money now. Potential movement. Again, that's a key part of it because it could just not happen. And there's one major, major question that comes from this entire Deshaun Watson to the Browns thing that doesn't even involve Deshaun Watson, really. What happens with Baker? Like, that's the question everyone's asking. Because it seems like every team has their quarterback now. So now what happens to Baker Mayfield? He's definitely good enough to start on an NFL team. If you're going to tell me Baker Mayfield isn't top 32 in the NFL, you're wrong. And the Browns are not going to want to pay $18 million to Baker Mayfield just for him to sit on the bench all year. So he's going to be gone. The question is, where? Before the Browns got Watson, and the news came out they were pursuing Deshaun Watson, the Browns announced that they were looking for a more mature quarterback than Baker Mayfield. And that's why they were pursuing Deshaun Watson. Like any normal quarterback, after being bashed publicly by his own team, Baker requested a trade. Because the Browns didn't know for sure at the time whether or not they were going to get Deshaun Watson, they declined to trade Baker because if the Browns didn't end up getting Deshaun and they traded away Baker they would just waste another year of their very talented young roster. But the Browns did end up getting Deshaun Watson. So now what happens to Baker? That's the question. And I I really don't think Baker's going to get traded before the draft. Like, And I'm sorry, Browns fans, because that is absolutely what the Browns want. The Browns undoubtedly want to get rid of Baker, get their draft picks before the draft. Obviously. Problem is, I don't think any teams that need a quarterback right now will trade for Baker until after the draft. Because right now I look at it, right? The only teams that actually need a quarterback and will be willing to give up like a fourth round pick, and that's really what you're looking for for Baker. Like a fourth rounder. If you're really lucky, a high third. But the only teams that need a quarterback that will be willing to give up that much because they need a quarterback so bad are the Panthers and maybe the Seahawks, depending on what they think of Drew Locke. But I really think both of those teams have a quarterback in mind. I think the Panthers, it's basically a lock. The Panthers get Kenny Pickett. I really do. The familiarity with Matt Rule 
And it really just seems like a lock. It does. He, apparently, he was working with him for a very long time. At I'm not sure what it was for, but Matt Rule, Matt Rule, and Kenny Pickett. It might have been at his pro day or something. But Kenny Pickett and Matt Rule, they were working for hours together, reportedly. And again, they are familiar from college and everything. So I really do think that's a lock. Right? The Panthers haven't made a move for a quarterback. And they're not sticking with Darnold again because Matt Rule's job is on the line. They're not going to draft a project like Malik Willis. So they probably go with the most pro-ready guy, and that's Kenny Pickett, who is, like I said, familiar with Matt Rule. Matt Rule has showed interest in him. So, I really think that's a lock. But let's say Kenny Pickett doesn't fall to the Panthers. That's when I think they would give up a third or fourth for Baker. That's when. And then, like I said, the Seahawks, depending on what they think of Drew Locke. They also might have a quarterback in mind. <laughs> because, again, if they don't like Drew Locke, why wouldn't have why wouldn't they have traded for Baker by now? Why is it taking so long? Why didn't they pick up Jameis Winston or something, right? And why would they have even got Drew Locke if they weren't going to play him? I really think Drew Locke is going to be like their first three weeks of the season starter so Malik Willis or Matt Corral can come in later in the year. It seems like all of the other teams found their guy or at least have someone who they are fine with starting this year. So why would they give up the assets to get Baker Mayfield? The answer is the answer is just not clear. There's not a clear answer to this question as to where will Baker go? Because I I would say there's around 20 teams that are a somewhat realistic spot for him. But I I really think the only two teams he would start on are the Seahawks and Panthers. And the only two teams that he would be like definitely, absolutely starting on are those two. Of course, there's other teams where he would like compete with Daniel Jones or he would compete with someone else, Tua or something. Those are just random young quarterbacks I threw out there, obviously. But he could realistically go to Tampa or something. Will he start this year in Tampa? No, but it'll be like their long-term quarterback answer. He he could fight with Jameis Winston for that starting spot. Like th- Those are realistic possibilities. But the only there's only two places that would be willing to give up a third or a fourth round pick, and that would be Seattle or Carolina. And again, neither of those teams neither of those teams seem to have made a move on them yet. So what makes us think they're gonna do it now? 
If they do it, it's going to be after the draft because they very likely have a quarterback in mind. That's the point I'm trying to make. If I had to pick a spot, I don't think he goes to either the Panthers or the Seahawks. I think he goes to Detroit and has a little bit of a quarterback fight between Jared Goff and Baker. A little bit of a competition between those two. Because I I think Baker's attitude is very similar to what Dan Campbell looks for in players. I do. So I think he could realistically go there. Like, if I had to pick, if I had to, like, gun to my head, pick a spot, I'm picking Detroit. But again, I really think there's, like, 20 teams that have a realistic shot at getting Baker Mayfield. All for different reasons, for the most part. Like, Tampa could get him as someone to replace Brady when he retires. If he retires. Like, <laughs> that's the thing, too. We, we also don't know. For all we know, Brady could play until he's 63. <laughs> or the Giants can get him so he could compete with Daniel Jones. Or the Steelers can get him so he could compete with Mitch Trubisky. There's a bunch of realistic spots. The question is, again, which teams would be willing to give up the most? Because no, no team is going to give up anything ridiculous. Like, the most they're going to get is a high third. And that's really pushing it, if you ask me. The only teams that will be willing to give up that much... I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I sound like a broken record, but that's Seattle... And the Panthers. And they clearly have a quarterback in mind, so it's most likely going to be after the draft. That That's just how I see it. But now let's talk about another quarterback trade. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, I slightly glossed over it. Matt Ryan got traded to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for just a third-round pick. From the Falcons' perspective, I don't. I I know why they want to move on from Matt Ryan, right? It's it's a new era of Atlanta Falcons football, undeniably. No Julio Jones. We don't need Matt Ryan. We're not going to contend anyway. Might as well bring in a new quarterback, a younger guy like Marcus Mariota. See what we have. We're just seeing what we got. That That's what this year is. We're just going to throw random players at the wall, see if they're good enough. If they're good enough, they stay on the roster. If they're not, maybe they'll be a backup or something. But they're just building for the future now. That's Atlanta's strategy going forward. So I understand why Matt Ryan, someone who's in his mid-30s, doesn't fit what you're trying to do in Atlanta. I get that. But a third-round pick is all you could get? Now, I know I said, like, oh, draft picks, GMC see that as worth a lot. Like, yeah. Like, Amari Cooper went for a fifth-round pick. Calais Campbell, again, happened years ago, I know, but this was the first example, like, I remember, of just how much GMs value the draft picks. He got traded for, like, a fifth-rounder or something. 
fifth or fourth rounder. I'm not. I don't really remember which. It. I think a fifth rounder. But the point is, like these really good players are getting traded for just straight up draft picks. But I feel like quarterbacks, like they're kind of an exception a little bit, a little bit in terms of value. Like they're worth more than just a superstar defender. Even if they're like a mediocre guy. Like Carson Wentz went for two third round picks. And Matt Ryan's only worth one? That's crazy to me. I cannot believe that for a second. For a second. Carson Wentz and his huge contract is two third round picks. But Matt Ryan is only one. And I I know. I know. I I understand that Matt Ryan, he's older than Carson Wentz. Like I get that. I get that. And I'm keep in mind I'm a Carson Wentz believer. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that Matt Ryan is a worse quarterback, even like in terms of value because of his age, if you're going to sit there and tell me that you'd rather have Carson Wentz on your team than Matt Ryan, uh, and I'm a Carson Wentz believer. Like, I like Carson Wentz. But come on. Uh, it was either a really bad deal on Washington's part for giving up two third-round picks in exchange for Carson Wentz, or this is a really bad deal. It's one or the other. And does it really matter which it is? No. The point is... One of those two do not add up. One of those two should not be what it is. Now, it's funny that I mentioned Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz was the former quarterback of the Colts. And I don't think he fit what the Colts wanted. The Colts wanted someone that could you know, make the throws when needed, but if we need to rely on you, you just won't throw the game away. You'll do just enough to elevate the team a little bit. But you won't ever hurt the team. That's what the Colts wanted from their quarterback. Carson Wentz is the opposite of that. He'll make these ridiculous plays. That you, if you're the Colts, you don't really need that. Because your team is just, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Your team is just, okay, we have the players, put the ball in the players' hands. We're going to do it. We're going to just march up the field, a slow march. You don't need to make these ridiculous plays down the field. You know, just a slow five yards at a time, four yards at a time, three yards at a time. That's how this offense works. Keep it moving. Keep the chains moving. Stay ahead of the chains. We're not going to get these huge chunk plays. But the problem is that's what Carson Wentz is. Carson Wentz is going to do that, which is fine. But the Colts don't need that major... Plus that the that Carson Wentz brings, and because they don't really need that, it's not worth the turnovers that he has when he's trying to make these huge plays down the field. Because with Carson Wentz, in order to have the good, you also have to have the bad. If you're not really benefiting from the good, but the bad is really hurting you, what's the point? Carson Wentz was never a good fit in. Indianapolis. That doesn't necessarily make him a bad quarterback. Again, I'm a Carson Wentz believer. But Matt Ryan is 
very different. He's the exact opposite. Someone that will just manage the offense. He's a game manager that will allow the people around Car- or around Matt Ryan to win games for the team. Again, perfect fit for an Indianapolis. And I think that this is just another veteran quarterback making a move because, well, I, and, you know, this is a little bit different because he doesn't, didn't necessarily request the trade. But this is another veteran quarterback on the move. And I, I can't help but notice, like, Brady started this trend. Brady with Tampa, won that Super Bowl, showed every veteran quarterback. I mean, you know what? Moving on to a new team, that could really help me get to a Super Bowl. Then the next year, Matt Ryan saw that. He actually acted upon it, went to L.A., first year in L.A., won a Super Bowl. And that's why you're seeing Russell Wilson, who I think is a much better example of this, because he actually requested the trade. That's why you're seeing like Russell Wilson and other veteran quarterbacks like Matt Ryan go on the move. Because after seeing Brady and Stafford win a Super Bowl in their first year on a new team, they want to go to a new team and see if they could win a Super Bowl just like that. If it's that easy, just switch your team, yeah, we'll do it. Matt Ryan thinks he could win a Super Bowl with the Colts, and the Colts think they can win one with Matt Ryan. And I'm going to be the reality check for Colts fans, and I'm sorry. But in today's AFC... Unless everything goes perfectly. Matt Ryan cannot get you to a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. But if your quarterback can't win a shootout where the other team is going to score 50 points, the AFC is the wrong conference for you. Just that simple. Just that simple. The divisional round game between the Bills and Chiefs was a warning to the entire AFC. You want to win a Super Bowl? You got to have a generational talent, a top-notch quarterback under center that can make these ridiculous plays. You got to. That Bills and Chiefs game just showed you, like, even against the best defenses, there's players that could just break the game. There's players that can just make these ridiculous plays against the best defenses. Like, it doesn't even matter. Pressure in the quarterback's face? Oh, well. I don't care. Oh, you locked up all my wide receivers? Okay. I'm just going to throw it in the literal perfect spot that only he could catch it. With five defenders in my face. While I'm on my back foot. With my left hand. Without looking. Like, that's the type of shit these quarterbacks are doing now. It's insane. It is insanity. But that that's the bar in the AFC. <laughs> like, it, it's crazy. It is crazy. But Matt Ryan can't do that. Matt Ryan cannot make the amazing off-schedule, off everything is going right for the defense, but I'm still going to make a play. Matt Ryan can't do that. Matt Ryan is a game manager, not a game breaker. If you want to win in the AFC... You got to have a game breaker under center, not a game manager. 
because of the sheer offensive powerhouses in the AFC, in order to make it to the Super Bowl, the Colts are going to need to win at least one high-scoring game completely relying on Matt Ryan's arm. And I don't think he could do that. I, I like Matt Ryan. I think he is a good game-managing quarterback. I really do. I think he can, if everything goes right, you know, he could win games. A lot, a lot of games, like I do. But in the AFC, you got to do more than just manage the game. You got to make plays. And Matt Ryan, he takes what the defense gives him. He takes advantage of his player's talent. Like this, this isn't a knock on Matt Ryan. It is just a like eye opener to Colts fans and really every AFC team fans of every AFC team, you're up against Mahomes. You're up against Josh Allen. You're up against Lamar Jackson. What those quarterbacks are capable of doing is unbelievable. And they do it so consistently. They make these ridiculous 99 overall in Madden on arcade mode Type of, types of plays on a consistent basis. Like, they make throws Matt Ryan can't make once ten times a game. And, yeah, you know, you could hope, oh, the defense is going to put Matt Ryan in a perfect position. He's going to be able to establish the run game and pass off play action. You could rely on that most of the time, but at least one game in the playoffs, it's going to be Matt Ryan needs to make the plays. And he's a good quarterback, but I don't think that he can drop the 50 points all by himself, which, again, that shouldn't be the bar. That shouldn't be like what you need to expect from a quarterback. But because of just how good offenses in the AFC are, You gotta expect it. That's the bar. It sucks. It's an unrealistic, way too high bar, but that that's it. That's the bar. Anyway, that's it for this half of the podcast. When I get back, I'm going to talk about some of the wide receivers that got traded. So I'll see you on the other side. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and as promised, I'm going to start talking about the wide receiver trades. Now, there were two elite wide receivers, so two of the best at their position right now, that got traded from one team to another. One going from the NFC to the AFC, the other one going from an AFC powerhouse to an AFC not-so-powerhouse. That AFC not-so-powerhouse, that is the Dolphins, who received Tyreek Hill in a trade with the Chiefs. And I... I, This was... This caught me off guard a little bit. This did. I... It happened earlier today. I was in chemistry, and I just randomly saw Tyreek Hill requesting a trade. Jets and Dolphins in talks to trade for Tyreek Hill. And the first thing that came to my mind, money. It has to be money. It has to be money. 
And I'm not surprised. It was. It, of course it was money. Listen, the, the Chiefs signed Patrick Mahomes to a mega deal a couple of years ago. And it was inevitable that players like Tyreek Hill would eventually be leaving so he could get paid more. Like, if you're going to pay Mahomes all that money, you're not going to be able to pay Tyreek Hill $30 million per year. But Tyreek Hill is deserving of $30 million per year. So what is he going to do? He's going to leave so he can get $30 million per year somewhere else. And that's what he did. Hill got a lot of money. A lot of money. $30 million per year, that is, that is not small. That's the highest paid receiver in NFL history type of money. That is quarterback type of money, and he's a wide receiver. That is insane. The Dolphins have been making moves all offseason. And this one takes the cake. Teron Armstead, they brought him in yesterday. Some people said he was the best free agent out of everyone going into the offseason. I mean, I can't say I disagree. He's a stud. He's a beast of a tackle. They brought him in. They brought Chase Edmonds in. They needed a running back. They got a running back. Edmonds is pretty good. And, you know, he could catch out of the backfield. I talked about him last week. They brought in Cedric Wilson, another guy I talked about last week. I, I really think that Cedric Wilson, severely underrated with the Cowboys, he was severely overshadowed, has all the talent in the world. Really, not all the talent, but he has a lot of the talent. Almost everything you need a wide receiver to do, he could do it. He could get a lot of stuff done. Large route tree, good route runner. You know, he's a good receiver. And they're, they're getting him cheap, too. Connor Williams, they needed help on the offensive line. Along with Teron Armstead, this is the other major helper on that offensive line. Connor Williams is really good. And they also brought in some other players. And, of course, they brought in the head coach, Mike McDaniel, who at first, like the first time I saw that they hired Mike McDaniel, I was like, do I like that? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But recently, like, or no, even like a week after it happened, it grew on me, man. It grew on me. And I talked about it before, but I, I think the scheme he's going to put in place is going to be perfect for Tua. The, I If he could be anywhere close to Shanahan, because he is from the Shanahan coaching tree, so that's like the standard for him. If he could prove that that offense wasn't just Shanahan and he played a role in it too, that's going to be very good. And you know, the Shanahan coaching tree has been really good. You got guys like... McVay, LaFleur, coming from the Shanahan coaching tree. Now Mike McDaniel. Let's see how that works. So the Dolphins, they're, they're going to... They were already like starting to look like they were getting it together. They now throw in Tyreek Hill on top of all that. Dude, this team's legit. Like, am I going to say Super Bowl for them? No. No, absolutely not. But... It's going to be tough for them to miss the playoffs. Although they are in a really tough AFC. But I I find it very hard to say, like, oh, the, the Dolphins are guaranteed to be behind the Patriots. I really think it's going to, the AFC East is going to be Bills 
Dolphins, Patriots, Jets. Maybe even the Jets ahead of the Patriots, too. Because the Jets are starting to get stuff right. You see, that's the tough thing that makes it so hard on the Dolphins. If they were in the NFC, they're guaranteed playoffs. I really think so. Problem is, they're in the AFC where everyone is good. There is such an imbalance between the two conferences right now. Just complete, completely unbalanced right now. And I'm hoping something fixes it. But right now, like, it is not even close. The, close. the AFC wipes the floor with the NFC right now. The Dolphins, I, I, I would think that they make the playoffs. But again, there's so many good teams, so it's tough. You got the entire AFC North, the entire AFC West, the Titans, the Colts. The Bills, now, of course, the Dolphins, the Patriots, and, I mean, the Jets are also starting to look good. Like, it, it's actually crazy. I legitimately think the only two teams I would say are straight up bad in the entire AFC is the Texans and Jaguars. There is two teams out of, oh my god, that's actually crazy. <laughs> I just noticed that. There's two teams out of 16, out of 16, that I legitimately consider bad. That is insane. Right? Am I missing someone? Yeah, the entire AFC North is really good playoff. Like, you want to say playoff caliber team, but not all 14 of, the, not all 14 of them can make the playoffs. So, like, it's, it's crazy, man. It, it sucks. My point is, I got a little bit off topic, but if you're a Dolphins fan, you got a you got a team that should be making the a playoff run, but the AFC so stacked it's gonna, it's gonna be difficult. And Tyreek Hill is gonna be a big part of them potentially making a run. I mentioned Mike McDaniel. We saw how he used Debo Samuel, right? We saw they used all these, you know, end arounds. Uh, Put him in the backfield sometimes. He did all these crazy things with him. He got him the ball in space. That's the point. And although Tyreek Hill doesn't exactly have, you know, the ability to bring defenders down quite like Debo Samuel does, he has the speed. Maybe you don't want to do the entire put him in the backfield and give him the ball. But the ways that you gave Debo the ball in space, whether it's screen passes and stuff like that, jet sweeps, you want to do that with Tyreek Hill. And I'm telling you, we're going to see a completely different side of Tyreek Hill than we saw on the Chiefs. Completely. On the Chiefs, you know, oh yeah, he, he ran the curls a little bit. He ran the in-breaking routes a little bit. But it was mainly like his ability to extend the field. That's mainly what it was. He was a deep threat. On the Dolphins, he's not going to be a deep threat at all. And that's fine. Because my comparison for, I've said it a couple times, but my comparison for Tua Valoa is a quarterback very similar to late-career Drew Brees. The problem is, right now, the decision-making is off. And I, I think I talked about it like two weeks ago. But the reason Tua is so off in terms of decision-making is because his rookie year, he was being benched for a quarterback that Made some pretty stupid decisions, but he had the talent 
the arm talent specifically, to rifle it in and make it work. But Tua doesn't have that. The problem is he was trying to do it anyway, even though he didn't have the physical ability to do it. He learned from Ryan Fitzpatrick, oh, this is what they want me to do. I'm getting benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick, so I got to play more like Ryan Fitzpatrick if I want to start. They have to get rid of that ideology from his head. Or at least I think that's why he screws it up. I think that's why he makes these stupid decisions. But there was a point when everyone was saying, is Tua the most accurate quarterback in the NFL? Like That was legitimately like a thing everyone was saying earlier last year. But then he went back to making stupid decisions. If you could just drill into his head, it's fine to give what the def- it's fine to take what the defense gives you. He'll be a very good quarterback because he has the accuracy. He's proved that he could be a good game manager. He's proved that he could, you know, time his throws well. He proved he could do all that. The problem is you got to make him do it consistently. You got to get completely get rid of the poor decision making. Mike McDaniel can do that. Tua is not going to throw the ball downfield. And that's why Tyreek Hill will not be, you know, that deep ball guy that he was with the Chiefs. Instead, you're going to see a lot of Tyreek Hill gets the ball, you know, three yards away from the line of scrimmage and makes defenders miss, goes 80 yards. <laughs> like that. Like, that's what it's going to be. I, Tyreek Hill is going to have, here's my prediction right now. Tyreek Hill is going to have the most yards after the catch in the entire NFL next year. That's my guess, unless he gets hurt. That's my prediction right now. Like, he's going to get a lot of production after the catch. That's what it's going to be about for him. He's going to get, you know, these short routes, because that's what Tua likes. And then he's going to make plays after the catch. We're going to see a completely different Tyreek Hill. But we know that he could do this. We know he's one of the best yards after the catch receivers in the NFL. We know he is. We're just going to see a completely different shot of him that we know is there. But we didn't really see him much with the Chiefs. Speaking of the Chiefs, how does the trade look from their perspective? A lot of people bashing them for this. A lot of people. And those people, I, I, I really do think, do, do not understand just how valuable draft picks are. I, I do. And you also got to understand, Mahomes are getting paid $50 million per year. They cannot afford to pay Tyreek Hill $30 million per year on top of Mahomes' $50 million per year. They can't. They cannot pay both of them. So what do, what do they do? The Chiefs traded him away and got a lot in return. Devontae Adams got traded away for a first-round pick and a second-round pick. They got that and more. For a receiver that's, let's just, for argument's sake, he's as good as Devontae Adams. Let's just go with that. Because really, if you're going to pick one over the other, you're kind of splitting hairs. So you got two receivers that are as good as each other. Tyreek Hill was worth more. He got traded for more. That's a good deal. Especially for a player that you wouldn't have been, the Chiefs would not have been able to keep him. Would not. And the thing is, too, Patrick Mahomes, he's getting paid $50 million a year. Which means Andy Reid and the Chiefs do not expect 
Patrick Mahomes to need a player like Tyreek Hill. Because the reality is, when you're getting paid $50 million per year to play quarterback, you're expected to make the offense better by yourself. You shouldn't need a Tyreek Hill. You shouldn't need a Travis Kelsey either. You should be able to elevate an offense with nothing but mediocre receivers. You shouldn't need generational talents at receiver. Because you are the generational talent that makes the team around you better. That's why Mahomes got paid $50 million per year. And that's what he's going to be expected to do right now. This is going to be a true test to see whether or not he's worth the money that he got. They brought in Juju. Is he quite a wide receiver one? No. But it's going to be difficult to get a very good wide receiver one when they're paying a player $50 million per year. So Mahomes... Now's your chance, man. Now you are going to have to prove that you're worth that contract. Now you have to prove that it's not just you being a product of a very good offense. You have to prove that it's you elevating the offense. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm not. I'm not going to say that, oh, Mahomes Mahomes has just been carried by Tyreek Hill and this proves it because technically it hasn't proved anything yet. For all we know, he could be even better. I expect Mahomes to still be a very good quarterback because he has all the athletic talent in the world. But now's his chance to prove and use that athletic talent to his advantage. Prove that that athletic talent by itself can make the offense elite, not that athletic talent with the fastest player in football. Because they're going to draft someone to replace Tyreek Hill, Okay. This draft class has eight receivers that in the combine that ran below a 4440 yard dash at the combine this year. So they're going to find someone that's fast. Is it going to be quite Tyreek Hill? No, there's not another Tyreek Hill, and there never will be. But again, Mahomes getting paid $50 million per year means he shouldn't need a Tyreek Hill. He shouldn't even need a Travis Kelsey. He should need nothing but a good receiver core. He should even be able to elevate a below-average one. He still has solid weapons, serviceable weapons, when you add in a rookie receiver, which they're definitely going to get. Just not quite as good. That's to be expected when you start paying a quarterback $50 million per year. Anyway, let's move to the other elite wide receiver that got traded. Devontae Adams was traded from the Packers to the Raiders. The Raiders gave him an absolute mega deal. The Packers were reportedly willing to pay him the same amount, but Devontae still wanted to go to the Raiders, so the Packers respected his wishes traded him for a first-round pick and a second-round pick. And I'm going to talk about the Raiders first, right? The Raiders are trying to find a way to compete with a stacked AFC West, and they made a big move in order to do that. Trading away a first- and second-round pick, like that's a big deal, right? And that's normally a big risk. But no one's going to talk about that when this team is winning games when Derek Carr is throwing for 400 yards with, let me tell you, the the Raiders' offense 
or at least in terms of skill positions, phenomenal, dude. You got Derek Carr, who I, I do consider him like a top 10 quarterback. I consider him much more than just a game manager. I think he can make those deep throws when you need them. Then you got Hunter Renfro, an extremely reliable receiver who's a great route runner. And he had a breakout year last year, too. Devontae Adams, the best receiver in football, especially from a talent perspective. And then Darren Waller, who's one of the best tight ends in football. And then Josh Jacobs is a solid running back. But, dude, Derek Carr is going to have an amazing year. Like, I, I do not see a reality where Derek Carr isn't in the MVP. Con- I think Derek Carr will be in the MVP conversation. Like, I, I do. I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he's going to put up some ridiculous numbers. They're on the Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller? Like, what? When Josh McDaniels, who's supposed to be an offensive mastermind, will work out pretty damn well. Las Vegas is a superpower now. And I just mentioned McDaniels. If he could do a good job with the Raiders, they can make a deep run. Into the playoffs. They can. Absolutely. I'm glad Derek Carr's reunited with Devontae Adams. I'm so excited to see it. I'm so excited to see it. Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, they're going to have a phenomenal year together. With Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. Like, again, people are not talking enough about how stacked this defense, or sorry, this offense is. But it's funny that I just mentioned the defense. Their defense has the best pass rush duo in football, I think. Chandler Jones and Max Crosby? They're going to be feasting on quarterbacks on the defensive side of the ball. And then when you punt it to them, they're going to be scoring every drive. Josh McDaniels' offense. With this talent, Josh McDaniels never had talent like this before. When was the last time Josh McDaniels had one of the best wide receivers in football? While also having one of the best tight ends in football. And then we know what Josh McDaniels can do with a guy like Hunter Renfro. We've seen that before. But we've never seen a guy like him while they have an elite tight end. While they also have the best receiver, if not one of the best receivers in football. We've never seen all three of those together with Josh McDaniels. Like we we saw what we saw what McDaniels could do with Gronk. Darren Waller is gonna be his Gronk. We saw what he could do with Edelman. Hunter Renfro is gonna be his Edelman. This is the first time that he had a talent like Devontae Adams. First time. It's going to be ridiculous. It is going to be ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. They're going to light it up. Like, I'm telling you, they're lighting it up. And then again, on the defensive side of the ball, Crosby and Chandler Jones, that's all I need to say. Like, I'm so excited to see it. I am so excited to see it. And again, it's gonna it's just gonna be held back by Josh McDaniels. It, Josh McDaniels is either gonna make them or break them. Josh McDaniels has an has a elite coaching season. 
this team can make it to a Super Bowl. It can. Do I think that'll happen? No. I think Josh McDaniels is going to hold this team back. Because I have no reason to think that he developed since his experience in 2011 as the head coach of the Broncos. I get it that a lot of time has passed, but I don't know. I don't I don't think McDaniels will be all that great. I think McDaniels is going to hold a really talented Raiders team back. Let's talk about this trade from the Packers' perspective before we end this up. A lot of people are talking about this trade like the Packers automatically become no longer a contender because of this. Too many people are talking about it like this. Just because Adams is gone, they're not just automatically like a bad team all of a sudden. But they're definitely worse. But if Aaron if Aaron Rodgers is really worth $50 million per year, very similarly to Mahomes, he shouldn't need Devontae Adams. If Devontae Ad- sorry, if Aaron Rodgers is the GOAT, like so many people want to act like he is, he shouldn't need Devontae Adams in order to win a Super Bowl. Because B- Brady was able to do it with a seventh-round pick quarterback that switched positions to wide receiver, a lacrosse player named Chris Hogan, and Danny Amendola. Eh. Listen, Aaron Rodgers has Aaron Jones. That's enough. That's all the star power you need. They're going to draft a receiver. Right now, the receiver room is the worst in the league. I know that. But it's going to get better. They're going to draft someone. They're not just going to let him go out there with Amari Rodgers as his best receiver and Alan Lazard. They're not going to do that. And I I like Amari Rodgers. I think he's a good player. I think a lot of you will see that like he's a good player. It's not going to happen. The Packers are going to draft someone, and he won't exactly be Devontae Adams, but he'll be serviceable. And again, if Rodgers is worth $50 million per year, he'll be able to do a lot with just a serviceable receiver group. Anyway, that's it for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope to see you again next week. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. And on Twitter, it is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces with a underscore at the end. I'll see you next week.